Welcome to Three Steps Back, what your financial advisor really does. My name is Elaine Milne, and I've been a financial advisor for over 25 years. Why have I called this podcast Three Steps Back? Because all too frequently, when people ask me what I do for a living, they take three steps back. Why? Sadly, I think the general perception of financial advisors can be a poor one. So I want to try to put things right, and I hope these episodes give you some enlightening information about what your financial advisor really does. Sometimes financial planning solutions can be really hard to understand. It's not like you can see it, feel it, touch it. It's easy for advisors to be technical, but I find that can blind the client with science and that doesn't really help anyone. I often find it easier to tell a client's story, a similar situation that's come up in the past that can help explain the the advice and the recommendations that were given to a client at that present moment. I'd like to share this story with you. It's a story that has and will stay with me throughout my career. It's a story that shows effectively, I think, what we can do. I'd like you to meet Dr. and Mrs. Rogers. The best advice I was ever, ever given was put yourself in the shoes of the client. And that's never more important than when death occurs in a family with a client. It's not about us, it's about them. We've all experienced the death of a loved one. And as a financial advisor, we are in the privileged position of being quite close to the family. And our job is to make it easier by sharing the load of the financial issues to allow space for the grieving family to do just that, to grieve. I met Dr. and Mrs. Rogers around 2009. He was a retired surgeon and she was a retired nurse. They were stoic, traditional Scots, so much so that I didn't even feel I could call them by their first names. So for me, it was very much Dr. and Mrs. Rogers. Uh, I just felt it was more respectful to them. I looked at their investments over a few years. I arranged their estate planning through the lawyer, arranged their wills, their trust arrangements. And interestingly, Dr. Rogers did not believe in life insurance. Now, I'm going to come back to this a little bit later on. In about 18 months to two years, Dr. Rogers sadly passed away. Mrs. Rogers was absolutely devastated. Her husband of 50 years had had now left her and she just didn't know how to run things. She didn't know how finances worked. You know, they were of a generation where it was always the husband that dealt with everything and the wife didn't need, she didn't need to know anything she was taking care of. So she really was lost. She was concerned about the executive process too. I didn't know the family very well at the time. She had two sons and one daughter and they didn't know me either. And it's fair to say they were a little bit sceptical about me and my role. The oldest son had a friend who was a lawyer. So he wanted his friend's firm to carry out the executory and to administer the estate. So Mrs. Rogers agreed and I was the one that was to help her with the volume of letters and the forms to complete and the paperwork because she was just perpetually confused about it. So I helped her through the process and through that time, 
I got to know the family better. They could see that I was there to support rather than hinder. As an aside, while I was going through the paperwork, we found a policy document for an investment and it looked like this investment was worth around £150,000. Mrs Rogers didn't know anything about it and neither had I come across it through my role of as being their financial advisor. I hadn't, hadn't looked at it before, I hadn't heard of it. On further investigation, we found it was true. So yeah, we found a £150,000 investment that we didn't know was there. So uh, Dr Rogers had left Mrs Rogers very well provided for indeed. A note about the lawyer. The lawyer was necessary. The lawyer was valuable. They do valuable jobs and they give great advice in many different situations. We need lawyers at certain points in our life. We need lawyers when death occurs. We need lawyers to investigate and to administer estates. But me as financial advisor, we'd done a lot of planning to support the family after the second death occurred, i.e. in this case after Mrs Rogers was to pass away. In my experience, sometimes advisors don't communicate with each other. And I find that very sad. You know, the lawyer does a different job to me. An accountant does a different job. Financial advisor, lawyer, accountants, we all do different jobs. I've met clients over the years who have said, Elaine, I don't need a financial advisor. I've got a lawyer. And it's like, no, we do, we do different jobs. We do different things. In this case, there was a slight anomaly with what I was doing and what the lawyer was doing. And we had to eventually get together with the family to review the position. And because the lawyer is only, was only dealing with the executory and his job was not to think ahead at that point to think about what may go on should Mrs. Rogers pass away, we, we managed to get in an aligned position in order that the estate carried on the way that we intended after Dr. Rogers' death. So everything we'd done, all the planning, we managed to keep it in place and there was still an inheritance tax position, which we had expected at the time, but there was still going to be some inheritance tax to pay on the second death after Mrs. Rogers was to die. Now, the only option left at that point, after Dr. Rogers' estate was finally administered and we rebalanced everything and we organised how Mrs. Rogers was going to receive her income from that point forward, there was only one option left in order to eliminate what was left of the inheritance tax position, and that was life insurance. Now, remember I said that Dr. Rogers was not a fan of life insurance. So subsequently, neither was Mrs. Rogers. So I persuaded her to hear me out because I had a plan. So I managed to have a meeting with Mrs. Rogers and the three children. I explained how my plan was to work. I explained that the life insurance was designed to pay out outside of the estate, which means that whenever death occurred, it would not form a part of the estate and be calculated against the inheritance tax liability. It would fall outside of the estate and pay off whatever liability was left. The intention was that whatever the premium being paid into the life insurance plan was, that that was always going to be much, much less 
than the eventual sum assured that would pay out after eventually Mrs. Rogers was to pass away. The mechanism was to remove the capital, i.e. by way of the premium, outside of the estate and therefore have a more minimal effect of reducing the estate over a gradual period of time. I could see that the family were starting to understand what I was trying to do. They agreed that they would discuss the meeting that we had and they would call me with any questions that they had. So Mrs Rogers' daughter called me a few days later and she said, Elaine, I'm beginning to understand what you're trying to do. All of this, all of this planning that you're doing, it's more for us than it is for mum, isn't it? I said, yes, yes, it is. You've got it. So she said, now I understand. So she said, what, you're what we're saying here is the sooner that mum dies, the more money will be passed into the estate because there will be less of a premium paid in and um, more, more of a sum assured that would pay out. So I said to her, yes, that is correct. That is what will happen. But I'm very glad that it was you that said that and not me. So subsequently, everyone was agreed and the plan was set up. In view of Mrs. Rogers' age, the premium was around £500 a month and the sum assured was something like £90,000. So that means that whenever, whenever Mrs. Rogers was to pass away, the plan would pay out £90,000. So sadly and unfortunately, 18 months later, Mrs. Rogers did indeed pass away. Approximately £9,000 had been paid into the plan. And as promised, it paid out £90,000. So I suppose you could say that was a fair enough return. So whatever remaining inheritance tax was left was indeed paid off seamlessly. The estate was released and the estate was passed down to all three children. But not just that. There was extra money as well. So over and above the inheritance tax bill being eventually paid, there was still a sum of money that was split between the children. It was a sad, a very sad day when Mrs. Rogers had passed away. It was, you know, I'd, I'd grown to become quite fond of her. We'd had some fantastic chats over the years um, and I knew that something was wrong. It was, it was at Christmas time. It was one Christmas time and normally I would pop round the box of chocolates for her and uh, just, just to see her before Christmas. But I knocked, knocked on the door that day and there was, there was no response. I thought something, something was very wrong. And then eventually her oldest son had called me to say that unfortunately she had passed away. Mrs. Rogers' funeral was early January. We were all just back to work after New Year and I wanted to attend. I think it was the first day back at work. As I walked towards the entrance of the church, her youngest son saw me and he came over to me and he hugged me. And he said, we, we all can't thank you enough for what you've done for our family. Thank you, he said. All I could do was smile. I, just, I was choking back the tears myself. It was, such, it was such a sad day. And I said, look, this is what we do. This is what we're supposed to do. Because everything that your mum and dad put in place 
my job was to make sure that it passed to all three of you in the way that they intended. And that, I think, is what we've managed to do. So I sat at the back of the church that day and I was thinking that we'd done a good job and that's when the job, you know, we, we do have immense job satisfaction, but we are dealing with people's emotions and sometimes emotions of our own as well when clients pass away. So we'd done what we were supposed to do and all three children now knew that what my role was and oddly enough, both of Mrs. Rogers' sons subsequently became my clients. Their daughter already, already had a financial advisor of her own, so um, it was her sons, both of them came to me and said, well, you know, will you be our financial advisor so that you can now help us plan the money that mum and dad have left us for our kids? So happily, of course, that continues, that continues the role for me. Now, there are two parts to this story. Mrs. Rogers' oldest son, Andrew, had lost touch with his previous advisor many years ago. So he said, will you carry out a full review of our finances? He was married, had three children, he was a dentist and he was looking to retire within six or seven years. I said, of course, of course, I'm happy to help. About six or seven years previously, Andrew had had a heart attack. Now, I knew about this through his mum. Mrs Rogers had told me at that point when the heart attack, when he was having the heart attack, that this was happening. So this was in my mind when I was going through Andrew's paperwork. I found the paperwork relating to uh, a critical illness policy that would have covered Andrew's heart attack. And I asked him if he'd claimed on it at the time. And he said, no, no. He said, I was just so keen to get back to work. I forgot all about it. And I said, well, did you not ask your previous advisor? And he said, yes, I did. But he told me to contact the company. And he said, I just, it skipped my mind. I just wanted to get back to work. I said, will you allow me to contact them? And he said, don't worry about it, Elaine. It was seven years ago, let's forget all about it. And I said, look, can you just humour me? Can you let me contact them? He said, okay. If, if you want to contact them and see what happens. So the insurance company agreed to look at the claim retrospectively. Over a period of around 10 weeks, myself and my assistant had lots of communication with the insurance company. Andrew had kept all the medical notes, so it was easier to put the picture together and we managed to deliver to the insurance company all the detail around Andrew's heart attack. After around 10 to 12 weeks, I eventually got a letter from the insurance company. They'd agreed the claim. I couldn't believe it. There was something like £170,000 that this claim was to pay out. Plus, there were six years of retrospective premium that Andrew had continued to pay after his heart attack. So he was to get a refund of all of that as well. And that was not an insignificant amount. I was so, I, I was just so pleased for him. I called Andrew and he wasn't home. I thought, where is he? I called him again and he wasn't home. And I thought, I wonder if they're on holiday. Okay, 
So I compiled an email and I said at the top of the email, I've tried to call you. I think you might be away. Um, there's something I have to tell you. I'm about to leave a gap between this part of the email and the next part of the email, which is the thing that I have to tell you. In the intervening period of the gap in the email, can you please both sit down? So I left a few lines of the email and then the next part of the email was to tell him that they'd paid out. I just couldn't wait until he got home. So he called me as soon as he got home and he said, he said, you were right to say that. He said, we just about both nearly collapsed. We were on holiday with friends and we were so excited and we didn't want to tell them. He said, we thought we'd won the lottery. That's how it felt. So I said, look, come into the office and I'll give you all the paperwork. Um, so he walked into the office a couple of days later and in his hands were two bottles of champagne, one for me and one for my assistant. To see him be so overjoyed that because I'd refused to get up, give up, and we had, we had dug around looking at what we could do to find out exactly what what was possible with this um, this uh, insurance company policy, and I was inquisitive enough to keep going. That was the outcome. Now that is the sort of thing that sticks with me. And that's the sort of thing that we're able to do. We can help in so many different ways. And to be able to create that wealth from insurance, not only for Dr. and Mrs. Rogers, their family, but also for Andrew subsequently, because we refused to give up and we refused to let something lie from seven years previously. was It's just such a great gift for the client. And now, you know, I have a, a terrific relationship with Andrew, his wife, also with his younger brother um, and their, all their families. So the, the power of what we can do and the relationships that we have throughout our role as financial advisors is very, very important. So I hope you've, uh, you've taken some information from that story and I look forward to seeing you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It should be noted that none of the content contained within these episodes constitutes financial advice of any kind. This podcast is separate and distinct to my role as Director of Milne Wealth Management, appointed representative of St James's Place. We'll see you next time.